Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, January the 4th, 2024. It is currently 8.30 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where this evening it is cold. Okay, that that right there, something is wrong. It should not be cold here in West Texas. It is cold. It's like this foggy, dreary night. Rain is coming down. It's it's not it's not pleasant outside, but here in the studio, I've had the heater going for like hours. So right now the studio is nice and warm. Have the really bright studio light behind me. So the studio may be the nicest place in the house to be right now. So it's nice and warm in the studio. And we've got some things to talk about. Now we started today with our ongoing series, which really never was supposed to turn into a series, but our ongoing series, the Sermons 2.0 Sermon Challenge. It's a challenge I gave everyone for 2024 that each day you grab the Sermons 2.0 app, which you can download from the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. It's absolutely free. And that you listen to a sermon randomly. And then what I'm doing is turning on the microphone, sharing everyone the random sermon I have listened to, and we're reviewing part of it. Now, if you listen to me and you listen to your sermon, see, then I I, I don't know. I, I'm i thinking, well, if they already listened to a sermon, do they, do they want to listen to me talk about my sermon? Or maybe they'll just choose their sermon based off the one I give them. But then that's not random. But then it is random because I chose it randomly. I don't know. So I'm still trying to figure out how to work this all out, how, the best way to move forward. Because what I typically do is I have the idea and then I'm like, go. And then about, you know, 30 minutes into the idea, I'm like, wait, oh, wait, oh, why didn't anyone figure this out? Why didn't any, anyone point this out? But remember, we just kind of, it kind of, it, it was, I think, a very natural, organic way that we arrived there, right? It kind of started with my frustration with sermons and what people get out of them and are they even worth it? Someone sends me an email making, a, a, not necessarily an argument, but presenting their perspective that they are worth it and they get much from them. And then I'm like, okay, well, we have this app where there's millions of sermons. Are people getting anything out of it? So then we start talking about that. We talk about buffaloes, Native American tribes. We talk about using every part of a sermon. So it, we kind of just fell into this kind of challenge so that hopefully in 2024, people are listening to sermons and getting something from them. So that's what we're trying to do. I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have it mapped out. I don't know if I have a perfect plan. I don't know how it's going to take shape. I mean, we're only on the fourth day of the month, right? The, the fourth day of a new year. So we've got plenty of time to just kind of let it just, we're going to just see how it works out. And but my fear is if I just kind of pull back and I'm not broadcasting about it, out of sight, out of mind, right? That's my my concern. I can say, all right, everyone, remember, do that challenge. And then everyone's like, I already, already forgot about it. But if I keep talking about it and talking about it and talking about it and talking about it, maybe that will increase the number of people participating in it. Because the goal is by the end of 2024, everyone has a notebook worth every day of the week for the entire year. There's a random sermon written down, the scripture reference to it, and a summary statement about what it was about. 
And none of those sermons are mine, unless you just randomly stumble upon one of mine, but none of them are mine. So it has nothing to do with me. It has something to do with everyone else. So I, I don't know. I, I, we're, we'll still just kind of, we'll just see. We'll just see how it develops, what happens. Who knows? We, we've given it a try. We'll see. I, I, want, I don't want to, I, I want to keep it going. But I know one thing for me that I'm doing is any sermon that I listen to, I think you're already real, I think you're catching on, can turn into four, five, six, seven broadcasts. And that's only me considering or, or even listening to 10 or 15 minutes. I can listen to 10 to 15 minutes of any sermon and then talk about it for seven hours. And I know you may think that that's ridiculous and you may think that I don't really have anything of, of substance to say, but I think we do. I think we usually have very interesting conversations about what I've heard out of a 10 minute sermon. This morning, I only reviewed probably 10 minutes and we, I, we, we went 65 minutes on the 10 minutes that we listened to. And then right now we're going to be talking about something that I heard in the sermon that I reviewed earlier today. So we're just going to go back to it. Hopefully, this will all be beneficial in some way, shape, or form. We will see. We just we let things just kind of occur here, and we'll just we'll just see where we're taken, where it leads us. But I think this is an important subject tonight. So the sermon that I listened to earlier today, I'm not going to go back and repeat it and all of that. But the sermon I listened to after he kind of gave he does this like four or five minutes. Six minutes where he's just kind of standing behind the pulpit going, hey, glad you're back. And -and so-and-so was sick and just kind of this, I don't know, I don't know what you call it. Then he kind of goes into somewhat of kind of an introduction and then he reads scripture, then he prays. And I think it's the end of the prayer. And and I think I'm correct here. I think it was the end of the prayer that he says something like this. I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like this. I plead the blood of Jesus over this service. And immediately I was like, what does that mean? What does it mean to plead the blood of Jesus over a service? Like, what does that mean? And then immediately I was like, okay, we're going to have to circle back to that. There was a, a lot of other things that were talked about in that 10 minutes that we could talk about. A lot of claims about Satan, Satan making you basically go to sleep. I mean, there's lots of things in that sermon about Satan that I'm still, I'm not so sure. In fact, the, the actual person that the sermon was about, I, I, I didn't even get to him. In fact, I've not even done any real study about him today. I spent most of my time pondering on these questions about Satan because I know this, if, I mean, I just, and, and I don't want to return to it, but the, the, the comment in the sermon or comments in the sermon basically indicated, hey, when you get ready to pray and you fall asleep, that's because of Satan. When you get ready to read your Bible and you fall asleep, that's because of Satan. And so my thought is if Satan can make you sleepy, if Satan can literally make you fall asleep, then how can you be blamed for any sin that you've ever committed? If Satan has the power to literally physically put you to sleep, then literally he can make you do anything. Right? So, like, I mean, that raises so many theological questions and questions about the sovereignty of God and, and man's responsibility and sin. I mean, that just, I mean, that, that, that opened a, a can of theological discussion that, I mean, we could spend weeks, months, years on. And again, that's from 10 minutes of a sermon. Now, the problem is, if you're not careful, that 10 minutes can turn into 
you know, seven months of, of study simply to criticize or simply to disagree. That's not what it should do. It should challenge you to think about these things th- uh, theologically and biblical, not so that you can criticize, but that you can learn and understand how these apply to yourself and you can be better, hopefully grow as a Christian. It's about spiritual growth. It's not about just becoming more prideful or arrogant. But back to the phrase, I plead the blood of Jesus over this service. What does that mean, ladies and gentlemen? What does that mean? I plead the blood of Jesus. I have heard that countless times. And remember the church we were listening to, I believe it was an independent fundamental Baptist church, because typically when I hear plead the blood of Jesus, that to me is typically used in charismatic circles. Pentecostal, maybe even more specifically, I think that's typically where you find it. So how does a phrase like plead the blood of Jesus that tends to be more a part of charismatic theology finds its way to an independent fundamental Baptist church who's broadcasting on the Sermon Audio website, which according to their statement of faith is opposed to the charismatic movement. So is what, so has, is this one of those things that may have originated within the charismatic world, but now just transcends the charismatic world and now pleading the blood of Jesus is a common phrase used by people who've never even been a part of the charismatic world. I don't know, but we need to talk about it. So I'm going to use a couple of sources just to raise some questions, maybe look at a scripture or two. And I, and if you use this phrase, if you use plead the blood of Jesus, first, I would like to know how you use it. Like, how, how is it used? Do you just say someone, someone's having trouble at work, their, their marriage is falling apart. Do you pray with them and go, I plead the blood of Jesus over this marriage. What does that do? Like, if you don't plead the blood of Jesus, it will it won't have the same impact as if you do like is pleading the blood of Jesus, the magical phrase that brings more solution or more power or more involvement by God into the situation. If I say I plead the blood of Jesus over, you know, someone's getting ready to go somewhere dangerous. I plead the blood of Jesus. Does now, are they more protected? I plead the blood of Jesus. Uh, does that stop school shootings? Like, I don't understand exactly what it means and what it is. So if you use the phrase, please give me specific examples and how you use it. Two, what do you think it actually does? And wh- why did you start using that? How, wh- where, like, what kind of church taught you to use it that way? Where did you pick it up? Where was the origin of you grabbing onto this phrase? Because it's not a phrase that I was ever taught I don't think I've heard ever used in any church setting I've ever been in. I think maybe there's some people who I've gone to church with who may have used it, but I think I kind of always looked at them like, what are you talking about? Okay. And then it's like, next. Okay. So, but, but these kinds of things enter into just like Christians find themselves into a certain environment and then they kind of adapt to that environment. And maybe this phrase is just a part of some Christian circle, some Christian environments. I don't know. The phrase seems, I don't, confusing to me. But let's let's listen, or not listen. Let's consider a couple of sources. The first one, I was doing research because I'm like, okay, because here's an independent fundamental Baptist pastor on sermon audio using the phrase. All right, I, I've got I've got questions. So the first source tells me this. The phrase, plead the blood of Jesus, has its origins 
in Christian theology and is often used in prayer or spiritual warfare. All right, so they say just Christian theology, but they don't tell me which stream of Christian theology. Remember, to say Christian theology is almost a, a meaningless term, right? Because that I need to know which stream of Christian theology Charismatic stream, reformed stream, non-reformed, evangelical, fundamental. I mean, we could go all, there's a, there's Lutheran, Episcopalian, Anglican. I mean, we could go, we could go on. What, What do you mean when you say Christian theology? But they say it's used in prayer and spiritual warfare. So you pray, but then in the prayer, you plead the blood of Jesus. So does that make the prayer more? effectual? Does that make it more effective? And then you use it in spiritual warfare. So you feel like there's a spiritual attack or you feel like you're, I don't know, you're facing some kind of temptation. I'm assuming then at that point you're saying, even that when it comes to spiritual warfare, that's confounding and confusing to me, right? Um, All right. Now, someone uh, in the chat just said, I'm trying to think if I've ever encountered it in the charismatic church, and I'm really not sure uh, Sure, it's overly familiar. Not saying it's not, but it doesn't stand out like uh, the phrase hedge of protection does to me. Okay, so there's someone who's been a part of the charismatic world saying it's not familiar. I, that's where I thought it lived. I thought it lived and breathed there, maybe because of charismatic pastors I'd seen on Christian television where I would hear them say, I plead the blood of Jesus. I'm just like, and I'm just like, it's charismatic television. I don't care to even figure out what they're talking about because they're all insane. So that's where I've always done so. And I believe I'd have to go dig through my garage and thousands of books. I've got some books by charismatics way back early on, either I, I don't know how I obtained them, but they found my, their way into my stack of books. And I'm just, ugh. but I looked at, and I bet you, I am almost positive the phrase shows up in some of those charismatic books, but all right. So they just say it shows up there, but it it's used in prayer and spiritual warfare. So prayer, what does that mean in spiritual warfare? What does it mean? And now back to what I was going to say. Typically in spiritual warfare, this is another thing that just confounds and confuses me. Okay. All right. Uh, someone was just saying it's one church, so they, it could it could actually be. They're not for sure. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see if we can get some kind of definitive answer. But back to what I was going to say. A lot of times when spiritual warfare is talked about, this is another thing that confuses and confounds me about the Christian world, is they typically view Christian, spiritual warfare as I'm under attack by Satan some satanic spirit, some demonic spirit, some external force that's tempting me, that's causing me problems. And then you plead the blood of Jesus. Are you binded in the name of Jesus? Are you call, as someone said, a hedge of protection? But it's always to fight against external forces. And I'm still just perplexed and confused by why Christians always perceive the threat to be external when I believe the threat is never external, it's always internal. Whatever there, whatever out there, whatever is out there that's appealing to me, I desire it, I want it, I long for it, I must have it. The real issue is inside of me. It's not that thing. It's me because there's something in me that wants it. There's something in me that desires. The issue is me. It's my appetites, my desires, my lust, my flesh, my whatever. It's not the external. The external thing can have no power if the internal aspect of me, my sinful nature, is not 
craving it and desiring it. That's why, to me, the Christian life is not about the killing off the external thing. It's about dying to yourself and denying yourself. So, so even there, if I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus in spiritual warfare, then am I pleading the blood of Jesus over me since I'm the source of the problem? And if I plead the blood of Jesus over me, does the temptation and the desire just stop? I, I don't know what it even means. I don't even know what it does. Now, here's what they say. It refers to, this is, this is one explanation. This phrase, plead the blood of Jesus, refers to a belief that the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ shed during crucifixion holds power, authority to overcome sin, evil, and spiritual opposition. So Jesus died and shed his blood. And that's saying that that blood has some kinds of power. It has authority. And so if I plead the blood of Jesus, I can overcome sin. Well, by that logic, okay, I'm struggling with sin. I plead the blood of Jesus. And then does that mean I stop sinning forever? Because it has supernatural power, I guess, right? Um, uh, It has the authority to overcome evil. So if there's any evil in the world, right? Today in Iowa, a sixth grader is dead because of a school shooting. I think that's evil. I'm tired of school shootings. So I plead the blood of Jesus over every school in America. Well, that stops school shootings, There are people dying in Ukraine, Gaza. I plead the blood of Jesus over the evil of war. Does that stop it? I plead the blood of Jesus over starvation because thousands of people die every day of starvation in the world. What does it actually do? I don't know. And spiritual opposition. So if I feel spiritual opposition, I plead the blood of Jesus and the spiritual opposition will go away. It sounds so superstitious, so like, I've got a magical formula. Instead of saying abracadabra, I say, plead the blood of Jesus and something happens. I, I don't get it. The term plead in this context means to present or invoke the blood of Jesus as a means of seeking God's protection, forgiveness, and deliverance from spiritual attacks or difficulties. So to plead the blood of Jesus, I make the blood of Jesus present. Now, they do mention forgiveness. Well, I'm glad because to me, whenever you talk about the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus in the Bible, isn't it always attached to forgiveness? Now, if someone wants to do a little research for me this evening, I need you to look up the the phrase, any phrases that refer to the blood of Jesus and see if every single one of them, if they reference forgiveness of sins or if they reference any of these other things. Power. Now, I think I know one passage that they may reference. We'll look at it. But I think almost all of them, it's about the forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins, forgiveness of sins. This is what this goes on to say. By appealing to the blood of Jesus, believers assert their faith in the redemption power of Christ's sacrifice and his ability to intercede on their behalf. So it says, when I plead the blood of Jesus and I'm believing in the power for him to redeem and his willingness to intercede. But I, I don't know how that phrase, I plead the blood of Jesus indicates any of that, but okay. Now, this is the scriptural support they give for it. 
The phrase is derived from biblical references such as Revelation chapter 12. So I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to grab I'm going to grab this Bible, Revelation chapter 12. And it says verse 11, and they overcame him. So I'm going to go back to verse 10. I'm going to go to verse 9, Revelation 12, 9. And the great serpent was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brother is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. Now, when I say that, when I read, they overcame him by the blood, I think they overcome him by the blood because the blood, they are forgiven. They, they're eternally secure. By the blood, they are redeemed. By the blood, they are saved. So therefore, you're, they overcome the deceiver. They overcome the enemy because the enemy cannot destroy them. The enemy cannot take their salvation. The enemy cannot touch them because they're covered in the blood of Jesus. I don't believe that that means, oh, well, now because I have the blood of Jesus, well, then Satan can't do anything. Well, if that's the case, then the entire sermon we listen to today makes no sense because he started by saying, I plead the blood of Jesus. Well, if the pleading the blood of Jesus means then Satan can't do anything to you. His whole sermon was about how Satan can literally make you go to sleep, how Satan can make the phone ring when you're trying to do a Bible study. Well, then pleading the blood of Jesus, all you have to do is wake up and say, I plead the blood of Jesus and then Satan can't do anything to you. He can't tempt you. Demons can't. Well, then, so I... Does it do something or does it not do anything? I don't even know anymore what it does or doesn't do. So I just see, yeah, yeah, I overcome the enemy of my soul. I, I overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of Jesus. Because by the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed and I'm eternal, eternally secure and I'm eternally forgiven. So they, they, this is the entire paragraph. The phrase is derived from biblical references such as Revelation nineteen twelve, which states, and they overcame, overcame him, the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Uh, it highlights the belief that the blood of Jesus represents victory over sin and the enemy. Well, it does represent victory over sin and the enemy because the blood of Christ washes away all sin and the enemy now I has no, can't do anything to me because I've been purchased by the blood of Christ. I have been redeemed. Then the last paragraph here says, in essence, pleading the blood of Jesus is a spiritual practice where believers rely on the atoning work of Christ, expressing their faith and trust in the divine authority, protection, and salvation. It is a way of claiming the benefits of Christ's sacrifice and seeking spiritual victory through his blood. Well, the benefits that come from his blood is salvation, is forgiveness. So even that explanation doesn't really explain anything to me. It leaves me even more perplexed and more confused. Than when we started. So I like, okay, I got to find another one. I got to find another reference. Now, if you, uh, if I have not looked, in fact, let me look here really quick. I have not looked since we are doing the Sermons 2.0 Sermon Challenge. I'm going to open up the Sermons 2.0 app. I'm going to go to discover. I'm going to look at the search and I'm going to type in plead. The blood 
All right. I have how many sermons? Oh, there's a, there's a whole bunch of them. There is one called the art of pleading with, or the art of pleading with God. Plead the blood, the pleading blood, pleading and proclaiming the blood, the ever pleading blood, pleading the blood, overcoming the devil, plead the blood. Clearly, there are plenty of people on Sermon Audio who buy, who I'm going to say, I was going to say buy in, but that sounds negative, uh, believes in this concept of pleading the blood which I am totally perplexed because I thought it was a charismatic thing. All right. So please, we, uh, tomorrow, th- this was what we'll do. Tomorrow, your job is to at random pick a sermon about pleading the blood. That is your job tomorrow for the Sermons 2.0 Challenge. Pick a sermon on pleading the blood and listen to their arguments and justification. We, we want to know what they think it is, what it actually does, and their scriptural support for for it. I, I am I am totally perplexed on this one. Okay. So, all right. So that just shows us there's a lot of them there. I mean, some of these have a lot of numbers. 972, 908 downloads. So there's a lot, I guess there's a lot of interest by people on the app to look into this. So that that's fascinating to me. I I I would I would never have thought that. All right. So, let's consider another article. That first article, I would say, was a little, would be more pro to neutral. This one is very anti the concept. Pleading the blood of Jesus in prayer is a teaching common in Pentecostal and charismatic circles. So that's what I thought. So this one says, hey, it's, it's in those circles, I don't know how this ended up. I was looking at some of the sermons on the uh, Sermons 2.0 app. Now, I'm hoping maybe all of those sermons are opposed to it, but the titles seem to say that they seem to be supporting it. And those were independent fundamental Baptist Bible churches and Presbyterian churches. So I, I thought that this was all Pentecostal charismatic stuff. Remember, this is, I, I, I'm going to say this. I say this all the time. Charismatic theology is a cancer in the body of Christ. It is a tumor and it spreads. It spreads throughout the body unless we identify it and cut it out. The charismatic world is a cancer. Its theology is is a disease. It's horrible. It's, it's horrific. It needs to be, it, oh, it needs to be dealt with. So, all right. So they, they, they go from the direction I'm going with. All right. Now, this is what they say. When people speak of pleading the blood of Jesus in prayer, they're referring to the practice of claiming the power of Christ over any and every problem by using the phrase, I plead the blood of Jesus over fill in the blank. I plead the blood of Jesus over fill in the blank. So then you're claiming power and authority over it. People fill in the blank with whatever they want. I plead the blood of Jesus over my family, over my thoughts, over my illness, over my unemployment, over my poverty, over my depression, over my discouragement, over Satan making me fall asleep, I guess. But then if if it works, then why would... So he, he so the sermon we listened to, they pleaded the blood of Jesus at the beginning. <laughs> but then the whole sermon is about how Satan can literally make you fall asleep. Well, then pleading the blood of Jesus must be something you must do, I guess. I don't know. Is it once enough or is it five times a day? Ten times a day? 
plead the blood of Jesus a day, every single day to keep the devil away? Is that the, I, I don't, I, I, I don't understand. Sometimes Christianity, or at least there's elements of Christianity that seems to descend into superstition, very faulty and flawed logic, questionable philosophical perspectives, conspiratorial in nature. And it's just like, you look at that world and you're like, I don't know what that is. All right, but let's see where they go. This article, next paragraph, pleading the blood of Jesus has no clear basis in scripture. Has no clear basis in scripture. Now, I'm going to be a little sarcastic here. Well, since when do we care in the Protestant world that something has no clear basis in scripture? Because obviously we don't. I don't believe there's any reasonable person who could say baptizing a baby at eight days of age to either make them a Christian, right? Lutheranism, or to make them a part of the visible body. I don't think there's any clear basis in scripture in that. You've got to do a lot of reading and trying to say, well, this belongs here and this. And I would say there's no clear basis. There's lots of things. There's lots of churches who say we hold to the regulative principle of worship. And you're like, well, your church does this and this and this and this and this and this. There is no clear example or command in scripture to do that. It sounds like you're using the normative principle. No one in the Bible ever pleads the blood of Christ. Those were those who plead the blood often do so as if there were something magical in those words or as if using them, their prayer is somewhat more powerful. This teaching is born from a misguided view of prayer and that prayer is a way of manipulating God to get what we want rather than praying for his will to be done. The whole word of faith movement, while t- which teaches pleading the blood, is founded on the false teaching that faith is a force and that if we pray with enough faith, God guarantees us health, wealth, and happiness. So they say the whole word of faith movement teaches the pleading the blood. See, this is to me... Deeply and and right there is deeply embedded into the charismatic world. I don't know how this ended up in the non-charismatic world. What? what? I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. Would would charismatic could could charismatics do me a favor? Could you all break away from Christianity and form a new religion called "We're not We're not Christians"? Okay, we, we, we're charismatics. We're not Christians. We don't care about biblical Christianity. We don't care about historical Christianity. We don't care about even theologically sound Christianity. We care about this new thing that we created. All right, there, there we go. Can, can we do that? All right, wow. All right, what, what we need to do more work. Let's, let's continue reading here. Next paragraph. Those who teach the value of pleading the blood of Jesus usually point to Passover as a support of this practice. It is quite common for Pentecostalism to base its doctrine on Old Testament examples. Just as the blood of the Paschal Lamb protected the Israelites from the angel of death and led to their deliverance from slavery, so the blood of Jesus can protect and deliver Christians today if they apply it or plead it. So they take the picture in the Old Testament, which is really about Christ, 
And look, when Christ's blood is applied to me, then judgment passes over us because we're covered in the blood. That's, but they take it and go, no, 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 no. If I take the blood and apply it, plead it, then what anything can, uh, can then uh, be averted. Anything will pass over. Ne- any negative thing will pass over, but that's not, that's not what the text is designed to do. Jesus is called our Passover lamb. In Christ, his blood is applied to me. His blood is mine in Christ, and it's for my salvation. It's not, oh, now that I've got the blood of Christ, I can just claim it at any time and I, I can I can remind myself of the blood of Christ that in it because of of Christ's blood I am forgiven, I'm eternally secure. But it has nothing to do with now that I have the blood of Christ that all these bad things are just going to go away. It doesn't work that way. Those who plead the blood of Jesus often do so in the context of seeking victory over demons. Pleading the blood of Jesus is a way of taking up the authority of Christ over the spirit world and announcing to the forces of darkness that they are powerless. Some base this aspect on pleading the blood in Revelation 12, 11. They triumphed over Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their ministry. But again, that, that I already explained what that means. I overcome the accuser of the brethren because I have the blood of the lamb. I overcome the enemy because I have the blood of the lamb applied to my life by faith. I am purchased by blood. I am I am secure. I'm eternally his. And I'm, I'm completely forgiven. So that no accusation can stand against me. No matter who, no one can lay the charge of God's elect because the elect have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Again, there is no example in the Bible of anyone pleading the blood. So in that sense, it is not expressly biblical. The phrase, the blood of Christ in the New Testament is often used, uh, basically meaning the blood, the death of Christ. Typically the blood of Christ sometimes is just a reference, another way of saying the death of Christ. The blood death of Christ forgives our sins, reconciles us with God, guarantees our inheritance in heaven. Should a Christian be aware of the blood death of Christ has accomplished for us? Absolutely. Should a believer be thankful for the blood and death of Christ? Of course. And expressing that thanks is good. Does a believer need to remind God that the blood death of Christ every time he prays? Not according to the Bible. Do the words I plead in the blood of Jesus give our prayers an extra kick? No. That's more superstition than biblical prayer. Pleading the blood of Christ is not needed to defeat Satan. He's already been defeated. And if we're born again, Satan has no power over us than what God allows for his purpose and glory. We've already been delivered, past tense, from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his son. No need to continually plead the blood. There you have it. I don't get where, why this showed up in an independent fundamental Baptist church. I'm, I'm literally perplexed. I am now very interested why there's so many sermons on the Sermons 2.0 app about pleading the blood when this seems to be directly correlated to the word of faith. Now, maybe all of those sermons are going to speak against the practice, but the titles seem to be, I don't know. Well, maybe my title tonight would be misleading, right? Let me look at, what was the title I gave this tonight? Let me, what did I give this? I just called it, Plead the Blood of Jesus. So see, mine now, my description is we consider the phrase plead the blood of Jesus. But my, so maybe, maybe all of those are opposed to it. I'm hoping they are. But that's, that's, that's your, your, your assignment. Oh, you've got two assignments. I need you to look up everything in the New Testament that refers to the blood of Jesus. 
And I need to see if it ever is referred to as like, you know, now it gives you special power. It's going to protect you from uh, temptation or if it's always uh, aligned to the what, salvation, the forgiveness of sins. So let's let we need to eliminate that. We can work on that. If, and, and I have a feeling this is going to show up at Victory Baptist Church on Sunday somewhere. I think we're going to be working. Every, members of Victory Baptist Church, if you're listening, I think you figure out what we're going to be doing part of Sunday. OK, we'll be doing this as a church. You know, like I love to bring these theological issues to the to the congregation. Like, let's work on it in real time. So we, we'll have to verify some of this. But the second thing I want everyone to do is I want you to take the Sermons 2.0 app right now if you can, right now if you can. Open the Sermons 2.0 app if you can right now. If you can't, wait till this is over. Do a search for Plead the Blood and I want you to grab, well, grab as many as you want. Grab two or three and just download them, have them ready for you in your library, ready to go. And then tomorrow or tonight while you're going to bed, tomorrow while you're driving, if you're cleaning the house, whatever you're doing, walking, running, whatever, listen to those sermons and then try to, you know, see what, what their arguments are. And then by all means, email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Give me the name of the sermon. And if there is a relevant portion in the sermon, give me the timestamp. And maybe we will address that tomorrow. So what we discovered is our, our Sermons 2.0 challenge led me to a sermon this morning. I made it 10 minutes into that sermon. We are now close to doing two hours of broadcast about that sermon, and we did not even make it past the 10-minute mark. Or maybe, maybe well, when I say the 10-minute mark, because I, I skipped the first two to three minutes. So we, we covered about eight, maybe 10 minutes of actual audio. Maybe we're 15 minutes into the actual sermon, but five minutes of it really wasn't preaching. It was, I don't know what you call that. It was whatever that was. But he pled the blood of Jesus over the service. I don't know what that was supposed to do. And if that stops Satan from messing with the service, then all he has to do is, instead of spending all that time telling Christians that Satan can make you fall asleep, Satan can make the phone ring, say, just say, plead the blood of Jesus and say, Satan will never bother you. And if you plead it once, is that sufficient or do you have to plead it every day? And if you plead it at seven o'clock in the morning, does it work for 12 hours? Does it work for 24 hours and then you wake up the next day? Or do you have to do it uh, once every four hours? Like, what's the prescription here for the, and, and I'm saying that in a very sarcastic way because it just seems so superstitious and such something from magic, not something from theology. And it sounds like it comes directly from the Word of Faith movement, which then I'm utterly shocked that it shows up in churches that are diametrically opposed to that world. How can you take a concept that's so rooted in their theology and it's transferred over into your church? I don't get it. I don't get I'm hoping all of those sermons are negative towards it. So whoever can be the first to tell me the one you listened to, and was it positive or negative? Whoever is first wins just being first. Okay. I don't have anything I can, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't have anything I can give away. Right. I'm not, not, nothing at the moment. Okay. We'll have to, we'll look for a giveaway somewhere this year. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure we do some kind of giveaway, but I don't have one planned right now, but you'll just, you'll be, if you want, you can say, use your name and I can announce your name and how you won if that will make you feel better. But I don't, yeah, if that makes you feel better, great. I just want the information. All right. There you have it. 
My stance is, at this moment, is that pleading the blood is not a biblical concept in any way, shape, or form. It's more superstition than Bible. And I don't even know what it would do. I know this. I am grateful for the blood of Christ. It's through his shed blood that I was purchased. I was purchased by his blood. I am redeemed by his blood. I am forgiven by his blood. I have eternal security by his blood. And no one can lay any charge against me because it's covered by the blood of Christ. And the accuser of the brethren, you, he, Satan can make all the accuse, accusations he wants and they may all be actually 1000% true. But I'm still covered in the blood of Christ. By faith. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I feel like that kind of was an anticlimactic ending, right? But I don't have anything dramatic to say. I don't, I don't know what to say because I don't know. I don't know where in the world this idea originated from. And, and, I, and we don't have a clear, I mean, I would have to go really dig into the, the history of word of faith. And I have no desire to do that. Oh man, that sounds like a painful, but yeah, it's a word of faith seems to be the direct theological stream, which this uh, concept has arisen. And clearly it left the stream and it's infiltrated the other streams and possibly, and I stress, would it not be very ironic that a site that's like, hey, if you're going to be on, if you're going to broadcast sermons on our site, they they cannot. I mean, we are opposed to the charismatic movement. There would be all these sermons on the very site that's opposed to the charismatic movement, promoting an idea that's straight from the charismatic movement. That would be that would be very ironic to me. Hey, we're opposed to the charismatic movement, but all of these sermons clearly promoting an idea that comes straight from Word of Faith Pentecostalism is on our side. That would be kind of ironic. I know you can't police that, like. I mean, I'm not saying anyone should police it. I just think it, that just demonstrates that many of those concepts that were there have so infiltrated the, the other streams of theology. And that's a pollution you got to get out of. You got to get it out of your, your stream of theology. There's no compromising with charismatic theology. None. Zero. No compromise with it. All right. Thanks for listening. Enjoy tomorrow. All the sermons you listen to, plead the blood of Jesus from the Sermons 2.0 app. You already, you already know what you're doing tomorrow. It's very simple, all right? Very random. Very, very good, all right? So, enjoy. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening. Tomorrow's Friday, the first weekend, I guess technically, of 2024. Make it a good one. Enjoy your time with friends, family, whatever you're going to do. And uh, I'm sure we'll do some broadcasting at some point. So thanks for listening. God bless.